Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Get Real, How to Live a More Authentic Life with Dr. Barry Weinhold. My name is Ben Barber. Dr. Barry, I have a question for you. Yeah. And it's a dumb question that I can't believe I've never asked anyone before, and I could just Google it, but we're live, and I should just ask you, what is Barry short for? It's not short for anything. It's I mean, not short for anything. No, it's uh, actually uh, when I was dating as a young man, sometimes I would try to impress my uh, my partner by saying it's short for Bartholomew. It sounded so so regal, <laughs> but no, it's it's just my name. Although for uh, Barack Obama, it's his nickname. Yeah. Uh, so I I share the same name with Barack Obama, or he shares the same name with me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you want to look at it. So yeah, I'm and, and uh, also Weinhold. Uh, a lot of people think that's Jewish. And so a lot of times I'm, I'm t mistaken to be Jewish and I'm not, I'm, I'm a Lutheran, a German Lutheran. And my ancestors grew up in the Palatinate part of Germany and they fled Germany to Holland during the hundred years war between the Lutherans and the Catholics. Oh, wow. And, and then they found they were even persecuted in Holland. So they ended up coming to America and settling in Pennsylvania. And I grew up about 60 miles west of Philadelphia in a little town called Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And a uh, town of about 7,000, 6, 7,000, uh, big enough to have some things that are, are fun to do, but not big enough to do many things. But I was only about 10 or 15 miles from another big city, Lancaster. So I, I could get around and do those things. But anyway, it, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm German Lutheran and... Uh, I uh, grew up and was baptized and confirmed in, in the Lutheran Church, and uh, uh, but I've since left that uh, that uh, religion, and I have more of an eclectic kind of more spiritual basis for my. I, I consider myself more of a mystic now. I like and, that, and yeah. I don't have a a. Uh, a traditional view of religion or, or spirituality and, and it's more of a mystical view. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so today we are talking about how to tame your inner demons. And I just want to ask uh, if you can share with our audience how they can tame their inner demons. Yeah. I want to just pick up something I remembered after we finished last week that I forgot to mention about the broken mental health system. And that was that, uh, you know, most of the uh, research uh, on behavioral therapy, as I mentioned last week, is not very high quality research, in my opinion. And it's called, uh, and then people have to have a research base to what they're doing or they don't get paid. So they've developed the, uh, the expression evidence-based practice, meaning that there is research that, bet, that, that, that they can base their practice on. But there is another form of research that I use and I recommend to my colleagues, and that's practice-based evidence. Meaning that whatever you're practicing and doing that's working, that should be enough evidence to, to know to continue it. And so I, uh, I look, I often will tell people that uh, the alternative to practice-based evidence is this, uh, I mean, evidence-based practice is is being able to document 
the evidence that you have in the work that you're doing with people that works. So I just wanted to add that uh, as a side note from a leftover from last week. Any comments on that? I, I, um, I think that the, first of all, I love, I loved the conversation last week and it makes a lot of sense that we didn't, we weren't able to get to all of it because these, uh, you know, I, and, and the fact that these shows are, are only about 20 to 25 minutes is, is always fun to me because, um, you know, it's not like you don't have a lot to say on all of these topics. You've written, you've written, uh, you know, over three quarters of a hundred books, um, <laughs> on, on this topic. So I think that that's always, uh, always great. Um, but yeah, I personally, like my questions are about, um, if there's one way, like the, the mental health system is broken as we've covered, uh, and is there, there are now so many, and this is kind of, this kind of goes to the, to the, to the topic that you were talking about with religion, um, earlier, which is, like there are many different avenues that you can take to get to a, a desired outcome. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, like when you, when you talk about Lutheran and Methodist and Episcopal and all of those Protestant religions, for example, right. They're all like different avenues to get to one, to, to get to one. They're, they're all considered one essentially religion. Um, is there, there are different like learning styles and there are different things. So when you're trying to battle your inner demons, right? Like some people, some people uh, learn things differently. Some people subscribe to different, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. Yeah. You it, know, you just need an, a, a pathway to get there. Exactly. So what is the best way? Um, so what is the best way or how do you find out? How do you find out what the best way is for you to, well, um, to, to find out how to get there, to follow that path? Well, first of all, maybe you need to begin to understand what are your inner demons. Uh, typically, people will describe their inner demons with words like depression, anxiety, anger, shame, schizophrenia, uh, uh, alienation, psych uh, psychopathy, arrogance, insecurity, frustration, delusional thinking, narcissism, or inability to make decisions, obstinacy, autism, and people pleasing. Oh, and finally, the last but not least is self-hatred. Now, and uh, most of the way that people deal with these inner demons, they sound so awful, is to try to project them on others and not own them as part of their own uh, experiences. But what we know uh, is that everything, and, and uh, I, I really uh, admire the work of Bessel van der Kolk, who's who's now written a book called, I think it's the, the Body Keeps Score or something like that. And that's absolutely true because everything that we ever experienced, tra traumatic or otherwise, is stored in our body. And the body knows what happened and how it, how it felt and, and what your reaction was to it. And so when you look at what makes up uh, a trauma that could be the cause of an inner demon, and basically, inner demons, I think, are just uh, unlearned behavior. Something happened. We didn't understand it. It caused us to uh, make some uh, judgment about what they were. And, and often it was a wrong judgment. It often had a lot of shame involved with it. I think the two biggest demons that I find 
that people deal with in my work is people pleasing and shame. Yeah. <laughs> you got, you yeah, got, I got I got those in spades. Yeah, well, I, they're very common, and 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 yet, uh, what makes a difference between a trauma and a and what I call an owie is that we have things that we experience growing up. I mean, that uh, uh, are are maybe some sudden uh, accident that happened, or some something that uh, scared us, and. Uh, that could become a trauma in our life. But what keeps it from a trauma was there was somebody there to comfort you when that happened and someone who helped you understand what that was and and, and kind of normalize it and say, oh, yeah, everybody falls down. Everybody has these things that scare them. And sorry that happened to you and you're safe. And here, give me a hug. Come up and give, I'll give you a hug. And, and so they're comforted. And so it doesn't become a trauma. It just becomes an owie. The things that become a trauma that cause the, the formation of our inner demons are traumas where nobody was there to comfort us. Nobody was there to help us understand what happened, why it happened, and where to put it, some, some context around us, some meaning that we could understand. And so it, it stays us open loop feedback, feedback in our, in our body mind. And then something happens in the here and now that triggers a memory of this. Why does that happen? It's just the natural learning style of human beings that anything that we didn't learn completely will stay at some place in our subconscious that when something happens in our current life that reminds us in any some way to that original event, it may have been a feeling, it may have been a uh, image, it may have been a lot of things, but it will trigger the memory of that event. And that's your body helping you. That's your body saying, hey, pay attention to this. Now, what most people do when that happens is they run away from it. They try to go back into their comfort zone because it's uncomfortable to feel that kind of uh, disruption and dysregulation emotionally, internally. And so they, they try to uh, do anything they can to restore that sense of comfort and, and re-regulation as, as fast as possible. And in the process of doing that, they miss the opportunity. But, on, but fortunately, the body keeps remembering and it will keep giving you those signals as long as you never get the purpose behind it and learn it. And so that's the first way you tame your demons is you find out what happened to me? Well, first of all, you look at what uh, I ask people, well, how are these so-called inner demons affecting your life today? What's going on in your life that you want to change? And then I say, okay, and where do you think that might have started? What happened or didn't happen in your life uh, that might have be connected to what's going on now? That there's some long-term effect from something that didn't get finished at that point. And then, and I often help people, sometimes it's hard for them to remember all that. So I have self-assessment tools, uh, some of which I've given to, to you in the, in the uh, in, uh, PDFs. And just a reminder, you can click the link in the description of this episode uh, to go straight to the Google Drive that has all of those self-assessments and everything else, all of the charts and graphs right. and everything that we ever talk about. So if, right you're, if you're stuck at the point of, I don't know where this came from, I can't remember much of all about my childhood, 
use some of these instruments to help you uh, try to re recall what might have been connected to it. And most people can. I had one client that did it so remarkably, it scared me I mean, so fast. I said, well, he was telling me about how he felt in social situations, extreme social anxiety. And I said, close your eyes and tell me what you're feeling. And he said, helpless. And I said, okay, open your eyes. Now close them again and see when you can remember the first time you ever felt that way. Within five seconds, he said, I was three years old and I saw my parents fighting and I felt helpless. I mean, that's how quick it can happen for people. Now, sometimes people take a while and they have to go through what I call personal archaeology. You have to dig a little deeper into their background in order to find the actual incidents or series of incidents or events in their experiences in their life where trauma happened or some kind of event happened that caused them not to really learn what that was about. So then once they got that, and then I say, well, now what was unfinished and what could you do now to finish that? And that's the sequence I use with my clients. So it's, it's kind of making something that seems awful, like all these labels of all these terrible inner demons are nothing more than unlearned behavior. And simply, if you just look at it that way and take the, the fear out of it, because there's nothing wrong with you. It's simply, you're just trying to learn something you didn't learn earlier, that's all. And, and once you learn it, then it, it no longer is an issue for you. So that's how I get people uh, and to tame their demons. It's really a, a process of, of looking at uh, uh, the symptoms they're having, not stopping with that as, as behavioral therapists would, but then saying, okay, what happened or didn't happen in your childhood or somewhere earlier in your life that might be connected with this, that might be bleeding through as a long-term effect of something that wasn't completely learned. And Piaget did all the research on this about how, how children, how human beings learn. And that's how he, that's how he defined it. He said that we tend to just repeat whatever we didn't learn until we'd learn it. It's as simple as that. And so I try to make the whole process of therapy much more simple and understandable and, and kind of normalize the whole thing. And instead of pathologizing people, which I think is a, another mistake, I forgot one other thing that when we were doing the, the uh, evils of the mental health system, and that one is diagnosis. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot to mention that one. And that one, I, because every time you go to a therapist, the first thing they have to do is find a diagnosis that's in the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual produced by the American Psychiatric Association, because that's how you get paid as a therapist. And so what they do is they give you a, a name, a label. It's, it may be uh, anxiety disorder, or it may be uh, narcissistic personality disorder, and whatever it is, it stays in your permanent record forever. And who knows who's going to read that permanent health record? Probably some uneducated clerk will read it. And I know I had a client who was actually an MD. And he said he had been diagnosed with depression about 12 years ago. Doesn't have it anymore. But he went to get some medication and they wouldn't give it to him because the diagnosis was on his health record that he had had uh, uh, depression. 
and they apparently the medication was something that uh, is not given to people with depression and and so uh it, it's it's i think it's dangerous and it's also what i think is that when when you when you feel like there's something wrong with you, you go to the therapist and you know that you went there because you know there's something wrong or at least you believe there must be something wrong with me that's what shame's about i mean basically people who think there's something wrong with me are carrying around shame that's different from guilt guilt is gee i did something wrong but Shame is, no, there's something actually basically wrong with me, like my client who thought he was born evil. <laughs> you know, that's that's the ultimate of shame. And, and often, unfortunately, I believe that the whole concept of original sin produces that in effect in people because we're born with something wrong with us. And there's, according to most of the theological interpretations of original sin, that means that we will be a sinner the rest of our lives and we can't change that. So we are stuck with it. So if you get a diagnosis, that just gives you a name for something that's wrong with you. And it kind of confirms this mistaken belief that there's something wrong with me. That's why when I start with a client, the first thing I say to them, I point right at them and, and I say, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. You're not here to get me to fix something. I'm not going to try to fix you. And, and they, some of them kind of look at me strange. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, then I tell them. I tell them I'm going to help them make better decisions and look at understanding what's happening to them from a different point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And it's as simple as that. I mean, I used to make uh, uh, therapy with people with trauma much more difficult and much more complex. And I had all kinds of tools and techniques that how, how people, like EMDR, which is uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the eye, eye movement therapy. Yep. And uh, I don't like EMDR. I've studied it. Uh, <laughs> and I've studied uh, what was once called thought field therapy, now called emotional uh, something therapy. I don't know. Anyway, it's tapping. And uh, you tap different parts of the body to, to release... Uh, trauma yeah yeah and, and both of those are fine ex except they leave out probably the most important ingredient in trying to heal trauma almost all trauma happened in relationship and so it has to be healed in relationship and my relationship with my clients is part of that healing process but in doing EMDR, the therapist is sort of in the background and this tool, this light bar is, is what they're focusing their attention on to. And I think that eliminates a very important part of the healing process, which is building a relationship with a, a, a solid, uh, effective human being where I can now uh, understand how to do that with my therapy and then properly translate that into my life and create those kind of relationships with other people. So I, I'm, I'm a bit critical of, of those kind of gimmick, what I call them gimmicky kinds of treatments for trauma. Now, some of them seem to work. I can't argue with some of the research on that is pretty good. Uh, that, uh, and, and they actually are pretty honest about it. They say they don't know why it works. <laughs> at least unless I've, they've, they've discovered it recently. That was the last I talked to 
an EMDR person saying, you know, this seems to work, but we don't know why. <laughs> well, I mean, but you know, doctors don't know why anesthesia works. So yeah. it's, yeah. Sometimes so, that just happens. But, but I, I, I have, I, I have kind of tried to simplify uh, the whole treatment of trauma. Yeah. And bring it down to its essential basic elements. And that's basically mostly the way I think about things is, it, and usually if I haven't gotten to the core issues with a client in the first session or two, I'm not doing a good job. Uh, I, I, I figured out ways to help get to what is causing their, their, their current kind of uh, suffering or uncomfortable or symptoms that they're having. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do is say, let's simplify this. Let's get away from all the, psychological jargon about it and just say what it really is. It's just a learning process. And, and part of that learning process that you help people go through, you, you tell them that there are four questions that they should ask themselves. Yeah, right. Yeah. First one is how is this affecting your life now? Where did it come from? And that maybe takes a number of different forms till we find out. And then what was unfinished about what happened earlier? where it came from and then what can you do now to finish it and frequently what and one of the simplest things that people say is i didn't have a voice yeah back then i didn't have a voice i could not speak for myself because the person was a parent or somebody in power and uh, i simply wasn't even given a chance to speak i was just told this is what it's this, this is what you did, and this is the punishment you get. And and so part of the recovery, part of the part that's unfinished that has to be finished now, you have to get your voice back. And that's what I do with my clients is, is okay, where in your life right now are you not speaking up for yourself? Where could you speak up more? At work? In your relationships? Uh, where is it that, that you're still not taking back your voice and finishing that. So it's, I give my clients homework, go on practice. <laughs> as, as any good teacher does. Yeah. Uh, can you give an example of how someone you worked with uh, who tamed their, their demons, uh, their inner demons well, were see, using this approach? There's many that I, uh, that have, where it's worked. Uh, one that is a dramatic one, similar to Abraham, uh, who we're going to hear from uh, uh, is that uh, this woman grew up in a family with a crazy mother. She didn't know she was crazy, obviously. And so she developed coping mechanisms to protect herself against the craziness that her mother would, would uh, and, and her mother was schizophrenic and she would not always be schizophrenic. Sometimes she was normal. So it was very confusing to my client about, what was going on and and how to protect herself and and so she uh, found ways to uh, try to help her mother calm down when she was having a psych uh, a psychiatric episode or a schizophrenic episode and, and they worked and so she began using them in her marriage <laughs> and and at work and uh, so she became kind of a miss mrs. fixit person. <laughs> to try to get everybody to calm down. As soon as anybody had any emotional reaction, 
she was immediately uh, in this mode of trying to fix them, trying to get them to calm down. And uh, so I was able to help her see that that was the pattern she grew up with and it, it worked. She survived childhood, uh, but it doesn't work now. She keeps using it. And I mean, simply just the awareness of that was enough. And then she began to, uh, when she had opportunities to, to jump in and be Mrs. Fix-It, she would stop herself. And, and then I, I helped her see there were other ways that she could relate to people without being Mrs. Fix-It. And, and so it's totally transformed her life. Uh, in fact, she told me one time that uh, the, most of, the most important thing I said to her was what I just mentioned a minute ago about that I tell my clients there's nothing wrong with you. And when I told her that, it, she said, that just changed my whole life because I was so filled with shame because I felt like uh, it was my fault that my mother was the way she was. And children will do that. They'll, they'll, they'll kind of think like, I mean, they're, they're still in the magical years. So they think somehow they can magically turn everything around. And when they can't, they take blame for it and they feel ashamed. And she said, when I told her that, uh, it just lifted that whole veil of shame out of her. And, and then she began doing the work of, of, of understanding how the coping mechanisms she developed to deal with a crazy mother don't work in her adult life anymore. And so she had to figure out some new ones. So then we worked on, and that was pretty much behavior therapy right there. We worked on changing her behaviors, but she had to, first of all, know where it came from. So that that's one example of, of how I, I work with people and uh, they, I help them understand. And also, she also said, you've given me names for things that I didn't know how to, how to talk about them. I didn't have a vocabulary to talk about them and, and with myself and with others. And so now with her husband, she's very much a changed person and he notices it and he appreciates it. He was tired of her trying to fix him every time, some, every time he got in a bad mood or something. Yeah. Um, well, I think that this is, uh, th that was a fantastic example. And we have another example, uh, coming up next week, as you alluded to, um, we're going to be hearing from one of your clients, Abraham, uh, who's a phenomenal young man, um, who's volunteered to share his story. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and what, what people can expect next week. Well, Abraham is, uh, uh, a ray of hope. He's a young man. He's 27. And he has turned his life around and, and in a short while. I mean, obviously he said, he will say next week that probably he was ready for it, but he didn't know how to do it. And so with a little bit of help from me, he's turned his life around in, in about four or five sessions with me. And that's pretty unusual. So he has a great story to tell. Awesome. And that will be next week. Uh, and if you guys are trying to contact uh, Dr. Weinhold, check out circle.org. Click the link in the description of this episode. And yeah. also, one, yeah, one, go ahead. One, one caveat about that. My, my website's now under revision. So you might get a notice saying this website is under revision. So uh, we, I will have a new one up in about two to three weeks. Uh, okay. maybe, maybe by the time this airs, it will be up. 
Okay, perfect. Well, guys, check that out. And uh, and also you can click the Google Drive link in the description to get all of their, um, to, to get all of the uh, self-assessment quizzes, everything that, uh, that we've put in there that Dr. Weinhold has made for you as resources to go along as companion pieces to this show. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Weinhold, and I cannot wait to uh, talk to you next time. Well, thanks, Ben. It was uh, a good uh, good session to talk about uh, how I work with taming people's demons. Absolutely. Or helping yeah. them do that. I don't do it for them. They do it for themselves. I just give them some tools and some... Can people can people search specific therapists for specific therapists on BetterHelp? Absolutely. In fact, I, I, I'm going to do a whole episode on if you want to go to therapy, here's what you need to do. Yeah. And how you need to research and how you interview and all that stuff. That'll be part of an, a, another episode in, coming up. Awesome. And if you're a listener and you're interested in working with Dr. Weinhold, you can go to BetterHelp, uh, which is a great service. Uh, I was, I, I've used BetterHelp myself um, to, to, to deal with uh, anxiety issues and, um, talk to, talk to a therapist, uh, you know, when my parents passed away, um, and, uh, and, and the people at BetterHelp are just fantastic. Uh, and you can search for Barry Weinhold and, uh, and, and try to get, try to get him as your, uh, as your therapist. So, and, and I have clients from all over the world. So the BetterHelp is accessible wherever you live, anywhere yeah. in the world. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much uh, for listening. Thank you, Dr. Weinhold, for sharing your wisdom once again, and we'll talk to you next time. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. For more information, please visit the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership at CICRCL.org or click the link in the show notes.